0: Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Lord, we give you thanks and praise. Lord, that we give you thanks and praise that you are the one who has made us, that you have fashioned us, and we pray that you would give uh, give us understanding, that we might learn of your word and what you have instructed us through your commandments. Lord, that we would fear you and rejoice because we have placed our hope not in the world but in your word. Lord, that we would know your righteous rules and who you are, your faithfulness, as you have faithfully uh, shown us your love through the gospel. Lord, that we would be comforted by your steadfast love according to the promises you have given to us, your servants. Help us to serve you faithfully. As we think of how you have served us through Christ, we pray in Jesus' blessed and holy name, Amen. Hear now the word of the Lord from First Timothy chapter three, verses eight to thirteen. Is God's holy and arrant, infallible word. Please take heed how you hear. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children in their own household's well. Those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. As we continue in this short little survey of these selective passages on deacons and the diaconate, particularly as we consider where we are in this, this stage of our life as a church, as we're about to enter that prayerful season of considering who might uh, be nominated, who you as the congregation might nominate as that of a deacon. We turned last week to be able to look at Acts chapter 6, to be able to look at that early uh, problem that arose in the church of this conflict and how the apostles then appointed and ordained those first deacons, the first seven men, to be able to serve the church. And then we see that this is not merely just something that happened in Acts chapter 6, but a pattern which flows throughout all the churches. We see this particularly in Philippians, uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, where Paul addresses the church He addresses the saints, but specifically says overseers and deacons, and this model we see in the church is then carried on from Acts chapter 6, and we see this perpetual office of elder and deacon in the church, and we see that here in 1 Timothy chapter 3. You read verse 1, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of an overseer, he desires a noble task. So here you see an overseer, an elder, is what we would call them in our church, an elder, and then you also see the pattern of a deacon, that these two offices work hand-in-hand together, that we see these two different focuses, as we saw last week, that the deacon's ministry is one focused on mercy. So this week, we're going to look at this passage in particular about what then makes someone qualified to be a deacon. In Acts chapter 6, we saw this list of qualifications. They told them, choose seven men from among yourself. They must be a good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom. And here we see Paul unpacking that idea of what those qualifications are with more specifics to it. Now, before we look at chapter 3, particularly these verses in chapter 3, we need to understand a little bit about where we find ourselves in the whole book of 1 Timothy. That here you have Paul and Timothy, these these close uh, mentor, more of a father-son relationship, you would say. And Paul has then left Timothy in Ephesus to be able to help these churches here. Here the church in Ephesus is going through many different issues. They've got false teachers that are creeping in, taking advantage of those in the church. So you've got these false teachers, but also you have a lack of leadership in the other section. It deals with how to worship correctly, tensions between various groups in the church. But also we saw a problem that was connected to what we saw last week with widows. Specifically, if you turn to chapter 5, verses 3 to 16, you see this is a large portion of this problem in this church. So here he's, he's trying to exhort Timothy of how to be able to step into this church, how to be able to help them. One of the things that he helps them to be able to do is, well, you don't have good leaders, you've got false teachers coming in, so what are you looking for in elders and deacons to be able to help the church? Paul actually summarizes in verse 3 of chapter 1, as he says, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, Remain in Ephesus, so there you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. So in the midst of all of this, he's, he's not only just saying, here's deal with the false teachers, but how do you deal with false teachers? You need right leadership to be able to help shepherd the flock and to be able to show that mercy forth. So here, Paul leaves instructions. How and what are you looking for when you're looking for a deacon to serve In the church at Ephesus. That's what we see here in verse 8. Deacons likewise. Here you see that pattern elder, deacon, elder, deacon, overseer, deacon, as we did in Philippians chapter 1. That here you see that twofold nature of of the offices of the church put forward. But they're not separate, they're together. That they're not. Elders are over here doing their own thing, and deacons are over here, that they're often placed side by side. The deacons were first established to be able to help the elders carry out their task as they took on their own tasks. The elders took their burden of ministry, of word and prayer, as the deacons took on their burden of ministry, of showing forth the mercy of Christ. They're not opposite or opposed to one another, but they're both serving Christ's church in different ways. But what you also see is that they're very similar. The qualifications laid out are quite similar, but yet the task that they undertake is somewhat different. They bear different responsibilities, and therefore we have some minor differences between those qualifications, not drastically different but still different. And as we mentioned on last week, that these qualifications are not about their past experience of serving and waiting tables, their, their past experience of how they are uh, at managing things and businesses or things like this, but is centered mainly around their character, who they are, not what they do. So let's look at these eight qualifications that are spelled out here in 1 Timothy chapter 3. The first one is that they must be dignified. The first qualification Paul lists is that they, a deacon, must be dignified. Now the apostles put forward that they must be of good repute, a good witness. Now the root word of this that's used here, it's translated throughout First Timothy and often throughout the rest of the Bible as godly or godliness. In other words, that a man who is qualified to be served as a deacon must then exhibit godliness, Christ-likeness in what they seek to be able to do. And I think this really undermines the very important point of what a deacon is carried out to do. A deacon is not there merely to be able to help with buildings or budgets, that a deacon is there to be Christ and Christ to the church, in, in, specifically in underneath that banner of mercy ministry. You could have a non-Christian come in and probably do a better job at balancing our books, looking For policies, building and and running a building. You could you could go and find more qualified people to be able to do that, but they would not be qualified to serve as a deacon in the church because they are not Christ-like. They then don't show forth that Christ-likeness in what they do underneath that ministry. But it also raises another point here that it's not merely that these deacons are some form of super Christians with super ability and powers, when we look at these qualifications, some people say, well, this is a bar set too high. Who, who could obtain to any of these qualifications? Well, it's not merely that the, the bar is to set too high. This is really the example that all of us as Christians should seek to aspire to be like. Actually, it's the exact same word that Paul says in Titus chapter 2, verse 2, when he speaks to older men. He said, older men should be dignified or godly, that all of us should be seeking to be more Christ-like in in what we do and what we carry out. We see deacons and and elders are, are mature Christians, not perfect Christians, but Christians that are being perfected into the image of Christ. I think then as this is the banner as we look at what we're looking for as deacons is a great summary that we're looking for godly men. The second thing that he says, second qualification is not in the positive but in the negative, which the next two will be also. It's what you're not looking for in a deacon. And the first of these negatives Paul says that the deacon is not double-tongued. The literal translation would be that they're not two-worded. In other words, you don't have a person going around saying one thing to a certain group of people and going around to another group of people and saying a different type of thing. You might say the positive way to say this is a qualification. It's not that they're double-tongued, but a man of his word. Now, interestingly, this is one of the things that does not appear in the qualifications of an elder. Now, there's many overlaps and many parallels. But here underlies the importance of the trustworthiness, the reliability of that of a deacon. That a deacon needs to be honest. Now, that does not mean that elders do not need to be honest, that elders can be double-tongued. But here, deacons... Specifically, you think about their call and specifically at this church of their daily distribution and being able to guarantee and say, we can look after you as a widow. And then they go back on their word. They change their mind. And that's very important as we think about what it is to be a deacon and to be qualified is to be trustworthy and dependable. third Qualification is that not addicted to much wine. Now, many pages have been written on how you define this term. Again, what does that mean then to have much wine? Is a little too much? Is some at all too much? But I think, again, it's, it's helpful to understand the context in which Paul is writing this. That here you have uh, the church taking care of widows in the church, specifically, and one of the major jobs of the diaconate at this point would have been the daily distribution, to be able to serve those who are less fortunate. And this might have also included the distribution of wine. Here you think about uh, a, a world where you know, trying to uh, pass on clean water in a, in a context of the church would have been quite difficult and difficult um, it most likely could have got people sick. But here, if you had a man who had previously had been addicted to much wine and had this uh, iris, uh, unable to control themselves with these past sin struggles, then why would you want to place them in that position of, of temptation? But then we can't then just say, well, that doesn't matter today. We don't do that in our church with daily distribution of distributing wine. But I think it's still an important factor of the qualifications of elder and deacon. Most importantly, what we see is that at the end of Paul's instructions to the elders, he says, moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. Here I think you see another important principle of what a deacon is. If a deacon carries out uh, the responsibilities of Christ and, and seeks to be able to model Christ to others, then a failure of an elder or deacon takes on that responsibility where they're representing Christ in the wrong light. I mean, I think this is uh, quite true. It doesn't take long to be able to see that uh, in headlines, it doesn't matter where you are, what denominations, the pastors often fall into the temptations and snares of the devil. And what that does to the reputation of the church, locally and and globally, nationally, is quite horrendous. They're a sinner. They're a sinner in the sight of God. No one denies that. But yet they they carry a weight and a responsibility where they seek to be able to speak the words of Christ for elders and, 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 and to be able to show the hands of Christ. And then when they fall then it's a great danger. You also see that in number four, the fourth qualification, not greedy for dishonest gain. That here again, to be able to come in and to be able to serve the church, here deacons are being stewards of the resources that are given to the church to be able to distribute them out. And if they thought, well, my aunt is a widow, well, I'm going to look after her more than the others. Well, that, that defines the purpose of what the problem was in the first place of where the original deacons came from. That they were looking to be able to gain themselves, and that's exactly what the Pharisees did right. They took from those who were less fortunate to build themselves up. But you see also how these not-qualifications are related to that first qualification, that so they should be respectable or godly. Their character flows through how they interact with the people, world, even how they relate to their own body. But also, a deacon is one who serves. How can you be a selfish servant? There is no such thing as a selfish servant. Because once you become a selfish servant, you cease to become a servant at all. But the fifth qualification that he gives there is that you must hold to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Now again, we consider what it is to be a deacon. Why is this here? You know, we can understand why they shouldn't be addicted to much wine and why they shouldn't have greedy for dishonest gain. But here the importance of the foundation of faith it is in the qualification of a deacon. Again, that, that example before of that, that person who has years of experience of balancing checkbooks, looking after church buildings, but yet they don't believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior, then they're, dis, they're unqualified to serve as a deacon because they do not hold to the faith, the mystery of the faith, with a clear conscience. You might rephrase this to say that not only they should not be double-tongued, they should be a man of their word, but they should also be a man of God's word. That they hold to the tenets of that historic Christian faith. He's able, with a clear conscience, to be able to confess the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed. In our church, what that looks like is that we have standards, the Westminster Confession of Faith and the Shorter and Larger Catechism, which we believe are an accurate summary of the Bible's teaching. And we believe that it is helpful for a deacon to be able to affirm the aspects of that faith. Now, I believe this is one of the most overlooked qualifications of a deacon because what we think is a deacon is someone who is physical, physical. They've just got to deal with their physical things. I don't say that uh, to speak of Seven Springs, I think just generally at large. What we think is a deacon is someone who is physical. So what we're looking for is a young man who is able to be able to serve and do the physical jobs in the church. Maybe when they get a deacon, we want them to have an elder. Maybe we want them to be able to articulate those faiths in a true way. But what we see is that underlying tenet that they're a servant of Christ showing forth the mercies of Christ to others then you understand why this is important. How can you be a a, a deacon that's not a Christian? We need deacons who are willing to show mercy to others as they have received mercy from Christ. But also, deacons are not merely just looking after people's physical beings. There comes an aspect where there's deacons who serve will have to care also for the souls of those in which they feed their stomachs. There might be a time when a deacon needs to come alongside someone, help them with food, but also pray with them. Point them to Christ. You see that example of, in Acts. The two deacons that are listed there in, in, uh, in chapter 7 and chapter 8 Stephen and Philip, they're deacons, and what do they do? They're able to open the Word to be able to point people to Christ. The sixth qualification there is let them be tested first, and then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. And here Paul explains that there should be a a time and an avenue of of being tested now, as we said last week, Paul later would remind Timothy, do not be hasty in the laying hand, on of hands. Uh, people don't rush in to be able to ordain someone to the office of deacon or elder. That we see ordination as a process. We often think about ordination as that moment when we lay hands on someone and say, now you are called to that office of elder or deacon.'" Now, to some extent, that that moment in time is true. There was a time when I wasn't ordained, and then I was ordained. But the process leading to that ordination was one of trials and tests that that others might be observing and saying, do we see these qualifications and traits of these people, these, these qualifications we see of biblical qualifications, that he is exhibiting these, that he is ready to be ordained? But ordination is really that, that testing and proving where the church through the elders is saying this man has been called to this office. But it also lies out something very important. That once a man is ordained to an office, he is ordained unto life. There's avenues for people to be um, dismissed or disposed um, of, of such an office. But that this is not merely just, I'm willing to serve for a week. It's a lifelong calling of what you are ordained to be able to do. So why then would we rush in to ordain someone, and then finally when they get ordained, they say, eh, this isn't for me. I was wrong. We would be better to wait and have less deacons or less elders, but those who are, we're sure of that calling. The seventh qualification here is be a husband of one wife. Now again, this is again one of those different interpretations. Generally, just to sum it up, there's two general uh, sides that people come up with. The first, that if a deacon candidate uh, can only ever have had one wife. Now this would then rule out someone who has been divorced and who has been remarried, However, the second view, and probably more common now, is that a deacon candidate can only have one wife at a time. That is, to rephrase it, would be a one-woman man. Now, this qualification in the second case would rule out anyone who, is a, uh, who practices polygamy now, out of these two categories, if you're broadly to be able to say it, I would say that I fall into the second category, that one woman man. However, I think when you place it in that, that broad categories, I think it is somewhat unhelpful to merely just say anyone who has been divorced is then qualified to be able to carry on and remarried. There, there are sometimes there are some difficult questions you need to be able to ask, and it's always a difficult situation to be able to find out when you get down into the situation, the Bible is not silent over these matters, but we shouldn't then all treat them in the same manner. And we don't have time to be able to dive into that topic this morning, but I recommend there's a good book by Dr. Jim Newheiser called Marriage, Divorce, and Remarriage. And there he spells out, I think, quite a biblical account of how uh, the church might be able to handle those things. The eighth qualification and final qualification is that they might they have to manage their household, their children' households well. Now, what does this mean? Quickly, I think what we see as helpful is that qualification that is spelled out in for the elders gives us help to understand what it looks like for deacons in First Timothy chapter three verse five. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? I think what you see here is that if you are uh, someone in the church and you are called to be a husband and, and a father, then that is your calling. That is your calling of first and for most importance in your home. Then, you, then if you wouldn't say that I neglect that calling to be able to go serve as a deacon in the church. that what you want is deacons who are godly husbands and godly fathers. You can not have someone who is not a godly husband and not a godly father then coming and saying, I'm a godly in the church to be able to serve. They need to focus on their home. Now, that does not mean they're not qualified for a couple of years. What it means is that they need to go and focus on the most important thing. I think maybe in this case, that to be able to unpack this, the, the English word is, is one word in, in Greek, but maybe several words in how it might be translated might help us to understand what that means to manage. That a husband and a father must rule, manage, lead, and devote themselves to his home well before even being considered as a deacon. And again, this example is not found in the world's definition of those terms, but Christ's example. That here he's called to be able to serve the church, but first he must serve his wife, love his wife as Christ loved the church. He must love his children and teach and instruct his children first. Again, I think once you see these eight qualifications, you see those unpacking of what it is to have those apostles' three qualifications. Really a summary of all of these together. Choose seven men from among yourselves of good repute, full of spirit, full of wisdom. What good is it if the church is looked after and the widows in the church are looked after but the families are being neglected? And this is one of Paul's points in chapter 5, that the church merely shouldn't just have deacons but have godly homes, and that will help the church, that it doesn't then put a burden on the church. Now, you might have noticed in this time I listed eight qualifications of deacons, but I did not touch on verse 11. And the reason is that This is one which requires quite a length of time to be able to discuss. This question arises from this verse, mainly, can a woman serve as a deacon? Now, just briefly, the PCA stance is that only biblically qualified men are able to serve as the office of deacon what we will do is in our Sunday school hours we're going to try and unpack how we come to that conclusion, but also how others who also believe the Bible might come to a different conclusion as well. So I'd encourage you to uh, stay with us for our Sunday school if that uh, question intrigues you. But Paul then finishes here that they, those who serve well as deacons, gain a good standing for themselves and also have great confidence in the faith that is in Jesus Christ. Christ Jesus, that here we understand that that a deacon is one, an office of service. Ultimately, in, in Greek, this actually reads quite interesting, you might say. He says, for those who deacon well as deacons, or serve well as servants, they gain a good standing for themselves. Brian Chappell worded this well by saying, The deacons who have served well will get a twofold reward before men and before God. As to the first, those who have served well gain an excellent standing before the people they serve. They will have respect of and of influence with the congregation. Here we see that men who are qualified, who have have this good repute or or dignified godly that as they continue to serve as deacons, this will only increase. They will be known as men of God before they are ordained and continue to be known as men of God. But also as they serve, they, they grow in their understanding of how Christ has shown them mercy. How He has served us. Now we'll see shortcomings, but we also see his example as it's lived out in these lives. We'll see those who are called or like Christ and show Christ around us. Now before we end, just want to remind us that what the church seeks to be able to do and carry out in this life is to show a taste of heaven on earth as it is in heaven. That the church seeks to be a copy of what we long for in heaven. And that we as a church seek to be able to serve because that's the example Christ has given to us. That the office of deacon is merely just an avenue in which all Christians and the church shows mercy to be able to carry this out. John Calvin said it well when he said, we shall never be fit for service of God if we look not beyond this fleeting life. That we need to understand that the the role of service is that we long for Christ to return. That it is not merely the deacons who carry out this service in the church, but it's the church who carry out this mercy and service. One of those avenues is through the deacons, but we're all called. That we all long for that moment when we stand before Christ. And what does Christ call us? Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. That all of us seek to be able to be called servants in that day. We seek to be able to serve Christ. And as we consider those in our church who might be qualified to serve as deacon, but also let us consider how we are all called to be able to serve Christ and serve others as Christ has served us, that we would long to be called that good and faithful servant. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. O gracious and most merciful Father, we give you thanks and praise that Christ has come to be able to serve us, to give his life as a ransom for many. Lord, we pray that we as a church would seek to be your hands and feet, showing mercy to those around us. Open our eyes and our ears as we hear of those in our community who, who lack certain physical needs, but also as they lack spiritual needs, that we might lift them up in prayer. That we might be able to show forth the gospel to them. As we love one another, those watching would see that we are your disciples. Lord, let us show forth this mercy which you have shown to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com.